You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Remain standing as we lift our eyes and our hearts to heaven and ask for the Lord's presence among us this morning. Father, we stand in reverence of you. God, we stand in awe of who you are. Father, you truly are holy. May the words of these songs not just be floating off our lips today, but God, may the truth be resonating in our hearts. May we see you today, God, as the only holy one. May we respect you, God, and revere you like nobody or nothing else on this earth. How awesome are you, O God. And Lord, we know this morning the place we are standing is holy ground. Because you say where two or more gathered in your name, your presence will be also in your manifest presence among us. It is holy ground. And so, God, we come to you today in, in not just reverent awe and worship, but in eager anticipation to see the fullness of who you are and experience the fullness of the power of your word in our lives. And so, God, today, as we open up your word, Father, I pray that you draw us in. I pray that you'd speak to us, God. I pray you'd change us and, and transform us into the people we uh, are called to be in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray right now that you'd push aside all distractions. I pray you'd push aside all discouragements and whatever else is in our minds and hearts, God, and and just help us today, Lord. Now help us get the fullness of your word for this next 45 minutes or so. For that is where our true soul, life, and satisfaction is found. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to go ahead and grab a seat, and you can... Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 5 if you have yet to, uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in your, in your presence today, just put your hand up or I should be happy to, to get you on. Acts chapter 5 is where we are, starting at verse 12. As you look there, just a quick announcement, uh, it is simply this, uh, Free Indeed is coming up at the end of February, and like February is a long ways away, why are you telling us this now? That's our annual men's conference uh, that we get to with other harvests and other men, and it's always a powerful time, there's always about a thousand men worshiping the Lord, hearing the Word of God, being changed by the Word of God, and so it's coming up in February. I'm telling you now because I got an email on Friday saying it's already a third full. So guys who are procrastinators, which is most of you, so put your hands up. Like, don't procrastinate. This is the week. You need to get your ticket or next week at the latest. Make sure you can get in on this. And uh, wives, girlfriends, mothers, if you don't know what to buy your, the guy in your life, for Christmas, this would be a great Christmas gift, and uh, and if you can purchase that this weekend, and just so you know, like if you come crying to me after Christmas, like, I don't have a ticket, I'm not going to pull strings, I'm not giving you mine. This is your shot, all right? All guys said, got it. That was weak. All guys said, got it. Got it. See you there. I don't know the date, February. It's online. Got to preach for 45 minutes. That's the least of my concerns. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, Acts chapter 5 is where we are. Um, before we get there, though, I want to, uh, those of you who are sports fans, you will know this, uh, these two words, the guarantee. Anyone know the guarantee? If you're a hockey fan, you will know this. Uh, May 25th, 1994, the New York Rangers were in game, going into game six of the Stanley Cup semifinals and hadn't won the cup in 54 years. They're on the brink and their captain, Mark Messier, had the boldness and the audacity to say this to the reporters. Tonight is guarantee win night. All his teammates were like, what are you thinking? 
You can't guarantee a win. Now we're doomed. And there are, you know, reporters are reporting on it. And, and like, this guy's going to look like a fool. And yet the, the game came. In game six, Marc Messier stepped on the ice. And he took over. And he scored three goals. Uh, Rangers won 4-2. And on their way to winning their first Stanley Cup in 54 years. Beat the Canucks that year in seven games. And it all comes back to all sports. It comes back to this one thing, the guarantee by Messier. What a legend. What a man. He not only said it, but he actually followed through and did it. Like, who can do that? And so if you look at hockeylegends.com, you'll find the guarantee as one of those highlight moments in sports. And yet we open up the Bible, we see a God who has given us the ultimate guarantee that he was able, more more than capable and able to follow through on. Uh, He says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell, even hell, shall not prevail against it. And so the whole book of Acts is just showing us how God's guarantee is far greater than any hockey player's guarantee. It's far greater than any guarantee you get on a product at the store. God's guarantee is 100%, and 100% he will accomplish it every time in a way that only God can. We go to Acts chapter 5, we see God fulfilling his guarantee to build his church, and even the gates of hell will not stop the movement of God's church. So I'm not going to read this whole thing right through it off the start. We're just going to start picking it up at verse 12 where we left off last week. We see the unstoppable God fulfilling his ultimate guarantee. And the reason why he sits here today is because he was so faithful to his word. First thing I want you to write in your notes is this. When God sets out to build his church, he will work in extraordinary ways. When God sets out to build his church, he will work in extraordinary ways. That's verses 12 to 16. Read with me verse 12. Many signs and wonders done. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So they even carried out out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is really the landmark of a church that God is moving in, an unstoppable church. It's really a a, a people with with the unbelievable presence of God doing things in their midst that only God could do. And it's really God answering the prayers of his people. If you remember back to um, Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 29, after the, uh, Peter and John were threatened in the, in the council and the believers had a great big prayer meeting, here's what they prayed. Here's what they prayed to God. They said, God, continue to allow us to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand and heal the signs and wonders performed through your holy servant Jesus. They prayed these things and the whole place was shaken. And then, of course, after they prayed that, there was a pretty significant passage we covered last week, Acts chapter, uh, four verse, or Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Remember the, the sin thing? So they prayed this prayer. God's like, yeah, I'm going to build my church, and it's going to be unbelievable. There's one thing we have to take care of first. It's this whole reality of sin in the camp. And so God takes the sin out of the camp and in a remarkable way. Remember last week in a way that we're all sitting up going like, oh, my goodness, I need to take sin seriously. So God takes it out. And then in verse 12, he continues on with the powerful movement of the Holy Spirit that had been evident so far. And so really God's moving in the church again. And look at this. Uh, Now many signs and wonders were 
regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. We've talked a lot about the early church. We've talk, talked a lot about what it means to be an unstoppable church and what it means to be a people with audacious faith. Here's one characteristic of an unstoppable church. Constantly in awe of the God at work stories being done in our midst, in their midst. The early church had no shortage of them. This was a normal thing. People were being healed spiritually. They were being healed physically. And everyone was like, if that were happening in our church, we'd be like, wow, this is crazy. What's going on? And the early church was like, of course, this is normal. This is what happens when God moves. Why would we expect anything different? Can you imagine the video teams from that church? They were like rolling, like 24 hours a day, trying to get these God at work stories out. So much so that people were around were like, wow, they said it's about Jesus. Things are happening that it can only be about Jesus. People started noticing. Remember the gospel was going to spread, spread beyond Jerusalem. People started coming to Jerusalem. The gospel was so alive and powerful. And people were bringing their friends and their family and they're laying them at the apostles' feet and, and, and everyone was in awe of what was going on. I'm sure some people were like, this is weird. Even some believers are probably there, like new believers are probably like, I'm not sure this is truly legit. For us, it seems more like a Benny Hinn thing, right? And we're like, we know that guy's not legit. Is this legit? And yet, clearly, this is, this is truly what's happening in the church. The church is growing in daily in multitudes. And because God was doing supernatural things, it wasn't bringing all kinds of accolades to the apostles. It wasn't building up the church. Like, ooh, look at us. You know what he's doing? It's pointing people to Jesus Christ, and people were being saved. This is a natural result of being a part of a church that God is at work in. I look at this and I'm like, man, I remember when we first started our church and we really prayed hard and prayed fervently, God, would you do something in our church that in five years we could look back on and say, that clearly can't be us, that has to be you. We, we are on our knees as, as a people begging God to, to, to do some of these things, to save souls, to work in such an obvious way that people would, would be drawn to the work of God like a bug is to light, that we wouldn't have to advertise things, that people would just be drawn. And, and as we prayed, guess what? God answered, and, and we were amazed at how God answered. And how does the church grow? Supernaturally. It wasn't our great plans that made it happen. It wasn't the name Harvest that made it happen. It wasn't, it wasn't charisma that made it happen. It was the movement of the Spirit of God that made it happen. And I look back over the last five years and I'm like, wow, we, we, we experienced this and, and this, is, this, this is the life of our church and yet we chose Acts. You know why? You know why we chose Acts to preach for this year? Because, because I think we're kind of losing that sense of like I can't wait for God to work in our midst again. And, and I see our church even sometimes lacking some of the, the, the fervent, urgent, expectant, like God, this week, will you do it again this week, God? There's nothing greater. We've kind of maybe lulled a little bit into a comfy little, well, we got the church now. We got each other, and why would I need God to work more in my life? Why would I need God to work more in people around me? Because that's how God builds his church. God builds his church in supernatural ways that we can't account for. And, and I read this, and I, I, as I study this, I'm like, God, would you, would you give us all a heart for, for this type of ministry where it's just like so, wow, God, you're doing it again. We want more, we want more, we want more. Let me ask you this, is that where you're at today in your own life as you come to church even this morning? Are you at this place where you're like, man, I just, I, I just want to see and experience the full power of God again? Is that where you are? Or you've kind of been lulled to sleep in this, well, I'm just gonna go do church today and get it over with and go home and say I did my Christian thing. Or, or half expect God to show up but not really eager for God to show up. 
These few verses here tell us this. When God builds his church, glory stories happen. When God builds his church, glory stories happen. There's no way around it. And yet God clearly in his word gives us a role in this. It's not like we sit back and say, okay, God, let the glory stories come. Bring them on. That's not what an audacious faith looks like. An audacious faith looks like the early church. What did they do? Here's, here's our role in this whole God at work thing. Yeah, only God can do it. Yeah, only God's unstoppable, but he chooses to use us in this. How does he choose to use us? Same way he used the early church. Number one is we pray. We pray for God's activity. I encourage you to pray and pray hard for God to work, not just in others' lives, but in your life. I encourage you to believe and pray for more of God's activity. Let me ask you this. If you stop praying for some of those unsaved people that you, you know, initially in our church was like, oh God, they're gonna come to Christ. Have you stopped praying for them yet? I hope not. Are you still expecting a, a new reality of God in your life as you come to church? That the message is gonna speak to me today? The message is gonna change me today? Uh, I pray you're praying those things. Still desiring to be used of God and longing for more? We, we need to reinvigorate our prayer lives for the activity of God. Still believing and praying that God can draw in the most unexpected person, that God can change the most dire of circumstance, that God can rescue the most further, for the furthest gone, uh, maybe scenario in my life. To read this, I think we need to, to pray and pray hard that God would not stop what he started. Amen. You want God to stop what he started? I don't want God to stop what he started. How it happens? We pray. The, other, the, other, the second thing we can do is... To, this is evidence of God at work. This is, this is uh, the atmosphere God works in. He works within a people that pursue holiness. Hit it last week. It was so significant. Can't just have last week's sermon never touch us again. Remember the whole Ananias and Sapphira thing? Clearly it shows us that there's even like one or two in the camp of God that are living in unconfessed sin. It stops the movement of God. That parenthesis in this beginning of this chapter is not there by accident. Just like a few weeks ago, I picked up a bag of carrots for my wife, noticed a rotten one on top and forgot about it, put it, in the, put it, in the, put it where it goes and uh, came back at the end of the week and guess what? They were all rotten. To see the activity of God in our church, it, it, it's all of us pursuing, actively pursuing holiness and repenting of our sin continually and, and saying, God, I just want to be holy as you are holy. If that doesn't happen in our lives, then these kind of things aren't going to happen in our church. Third one is this, is participating with God. Even though the apostles were ones doing the healing, all were involved, all in. God's work is never meant to be observed from a distance, meant to be experienced up close as we work together to do the work of the ministry. It's one thing to see God at work. It's another thing to hear other people's God at work stories. It's a completely other thing to actually be involved in the work of God and see it firsthand. Those three things come into play and we I believe we can see as great a things as God did in the early church today, even today. Do you believe that? That God still works today the same way he worked in the early church as we pray, as we pursue holiness, we participate with God? I believe God's not done with us yet, and I believe God doesn't want you to think he's done with us yet. Let me ask you this. What is God doing in your life, in our church, that can only be attributed to God? Like, like these few verses, it could, it, only one explanation for these things. God is at work. What is happening in your life? What is happening in our church that only God can get the credit for? Tag on our website is this. Regular people encountering a radical God. I pray that stirs us again that, that this will be our reality as we move forward. It's a mark of an unstoppable church. 
It's a mark of the unstoppable work of God. The supernatural happens. Second thing happens is this. God's truth cannot be silenced. To be an unstoppable church, to be a church that that God uses and moves in greatly, to be a people of audacious faith. Here's the reality. God's truth cannot be silenced. Let me continue reading here in verse 17. So all these amazing things are happening. The, 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 The Lord is moving. And verse 17, but... You know what's going to happen, right? But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said this, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach Now the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, get this, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we have found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Can you imagine the shock? Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison were standing in the temple teaching the people. Is this where they're told not to go? <laughs> then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were, being afraid of, they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they brought them, they set before them the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you to not teach in, his na- in this name, he wouldn't even say the name, in this name, in Jesus' name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. The mark of an unstoppable church, the mark of an audacious faith is simply this. God's truth cannot be silenced. This is how God builds his church. He compels his people to speak the truth even in the most adverse of circumstances. Here's what's happening. All this supernatural activity going on. The religious people today are like, hey man, they're getting all the press time. They're, they're, everyone's flocking to them like in droves and well, we're standing here. Well, what about us? What about what we're doing here? And so they, they get jealous and, and notice how the intensity picks up from the first time they were in prison. Peter and John were the first two rounded up. Right now they go, they get a little, let's get a posse together. Let's get all the apostles and bring them in. Now we're gonna set them straight. They get them in there and think they finally shut down this and they're going to shut this thing down and what does God do? He shows up in the middle of the night with an angel, opens up the prison doors and lets them out. God is snickering in heaven at this point. You have to understand this because the Sadducees, they didn't believe in angels. Remember? They didn't believe in the supernatural. Oh, you don't believe in the supernatural? Hey, watch this. So they're like, what's going on? God's like, snicker, snicker, snicker. You don't believe in angels anymore, do you? But then the angel says to the disciples right away, he's like, hey, don't miss this either. Hey, now that I've let you out, go back to the temple and share the words of life. This is a bold call. Where were the disciples when they got arrested in the first place? They were in the temple. I've released you so you can go back to the place where the gospel is most opposed, where there's greatest chance of ridicule and imprisonment and beating and whatever else, and I want you to continue to preach the news of not death, but life. That's crazy to me, don't you think? (laughs) 
The Spirit of God didn't ask them to go out and argue theology. He didn't ask them to go and fight for the rights. He didn't ask them to go and post corny Christian sentiments on Facebook. He didn't ask them to prove anyone else wrong. He asked them to go and continue to preach the words of life. To the people, the Sadducees, these are words of death. Why? Because the apostles were like, they killed Jesus. They killed Jesus. They're like, stop saying that. It's like trying to catch a skunk and the skunk taking all the stuff out of the trap and coming in there's a stench, but there's no skunk. That's what, the, that's what the Sadducees are thinking about the apostles. And how do we stop these guys? And the apostles are like, but yeah, well, we're not, we're not trying to, we're not trying to, bring death upon you. We're only preaching because this is where life is found. This is where you're going to find your life. In the midst of this whole scenario, we see God's call on those with audacious faith to take the message of life to the least expected places to go that that we'd want to go. This is what God calls us to be and do. We want to be part of an unstoppable church. It's not about programs that we come up with. It's not about, it's not about all these creative things we can do. It's simply about you and I being willing to, to listen to the spirit of the Lord and to take the message of life to wherever God calls us to go, even if it doesn't make any sense to us. And it's maybe the last place we'd want to go. Here's how we in our culture want to share our faith. Well, I'm going to pray, God, make, give me an open door, give me an easy opportunity, give me a place where no one's going to be offended, where, where I'm not going to stir the pot, and, and once you make everything so smooth, then I will share my faith. God's like, that's not an audacious faith at all. That's a comfortable faith, but that's, that's not the faith that I call you to. That's not the faith that I empower you to. How about praying differently, brothers and sisters? How about praying like this? God, where do you want me to take the gospel? Wherever you want me to take it, I will go. Even if it's hard. Even if I put my neck on the line, where is that place for, for the apostles? It was the temple. Where is that place for us? For some of us, it's our family. Like, I'll tell the gospel to anyone but my family. Because that's where there's greatest risk. That's where there's too much at stake. Or I'll preach the gospel anywhere, but, but don't ask me to preach to my coworkers because my, my job could be on the line. And what happens if I lose my job? What about the streets? Some of us are like, yeah, we'll share Christ with anyone I know, but like, don't ask me to go on the streets with Jeremy and the Go team. Like, that's out there, man. That's only for a few Christians. What about even overseas? To the places that have never even heard of Jesus. And every missions YouTube video you watch, or anytime we talk about it in church, your heart's thumping and you just feel that God's calling you to go, and then maybe you should give up it all and go, but you're like, ah. Comfy, please. Convenience, please. You know how God builds his church? He builds it. You know how he does it? Through instilling in his people a longing to share the words of life with others. A reality that this is life and and you miss Jesus, you miss life, and how can I keep that to myself? Even if it means that my security is lost, even if it means that I have to give up possessions, even if it means that I have to forfeit some friendships or lose my job or throw my reputation out the window, even if it means that I put myself in physical danger, I just cannot stop speaking the words of life. This is the audacious faith of the New Testament that God wants to instill in us today. 
And it's not the super Christian that this is for. This is for the average, everyday Christian. A few years ago, Connie came into my office and said, hey, Daryl, I got a phone call from somebody, and they're going to come to church on Sunday, and I just want to make sure you're going to be free for lunch after. And I'm thinking, that depends on who it is for sure. They don't want, you, they don't want me to tell you their name, but they're going to come. They'd love to have lunch with you after. And I'm like, well, now I'm on the spot. I'm sweating all the way up to the weekend going, who is this? Started preaching, and I knew exactly who it was. It was a young guy that used to be in our youth group, five or six years removed, Matt Racher, and Matt was sitting in our church, and, and I was surprised. He was the guy that was the hardest nut to crack in youth group ever, and I spent a lot of time with him, but I, I asked every question I could think of in some conversation, and I'd get like one-word answers, yes and no. And, and honestly, when I moved on from that ministry, I thought, well, you know, like, this guy's going to succeed, this guy's going to succeed. Matt, well, we'll see. Matt, shy little untalkative kid came like bounded down the aisle at the end of service and he's like you remember me I'm like of course I remember you Matt and he different guy and I was like well man lots has changed give me the time let's go for lunch after all our family went out for lunch with him and I was like Matt like you're a different fellow like I, I couldn't get a sentence out of you before and now I can't he's like now you can't shut me up right I'm like yeah you said it I'm like what happened like, man after after high school God just grabbed a hold of my heart and I realized all the things you were teaching us in youth group they're true and, and God saved me, and he changed my life. I'm now leading a college ministry at my church, and in six months, I'm leaving to go overseas to a country I can't tell you because, because God has called me to go and share the gospel in this country. I'm not joking. The guy you would least expect, the guy you'd least expect, no exaggeration, to Stand up in front of anyone and say anything. All the way home, I had this lump in my throat. I'd start to talk to Ruth, and I couldn't. I'd start crying. And I'm like, all the time I spent, I thought that was useless. All the, all the, with that guy. And look what the Lord's done. Young guy willing to boldly step out in obedience to what God is calling him to do. We've said it over and over since September, this series started in September, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be bold for Jesus. Not just somebody else, but, but for me and you, for you and I. Let me ask you this, have you shared Jesus Christ with anyone yet since September? Have you shared Jesus Christ with anyone yet since September? That was like the second sermon of this whole series, remember? God empowers us to be his witnesses. Is this a philosophy of your head or a pillar of your heart, evangelism? Honest, is this a philosophy in your head or a pillar in your heart? We, we know but by when we start sharing, if it's a pillar of our heart, we're going to share, we're going to talk. If it's a pillar of our church, they used to be up here, if it's a pillar at the back, if it's a pillar of our church, hey, we're not going to be talking about this, we're going to be telling other people about Jesus. More time telling people about Jesus than talking about how we need to evangelize others. Is this a philosophy of our church or is this a pillar of our church? Which one? It's not the pastor's job solely evangelizing the lost. It's not the elder's job solely evangelizing the lost. It's our jobs to live out our calling in Jesus Christ. We, we all want to be part of an unstoppable church. We all, we all want God to do God at work story. We, we, we love the stories. We love the videos. They're going to stop if we don't take this seriously. I, I 
encourage you to start praying with me. Pray the, 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 the verse off our pillar, pray with me. In Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, Paul says this, pray that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. When he says as I ought to speak, it's not like, well, that I should speak maybe one day. It's that, that this is my mandate. This is what I'm compelled to do by God. Pray that we will be a church of boldness in sharing Jesus Christ. That's where God's spirit moves most powerfully. If you haven't done it yet, if you are still waiting for that perfect opportunity to share your faith, I'm guessing it came and went and you missed it. Because if God would go to the great lengths to let the disciples out of jail to make it happen, surely he's gonna cross somebody across your path in the last three months to share Jesus with. And so I encourage you to start praying for boldness and start looking. And, and if you don't know where to start, start here. We have printed off little invites for you to make it even easier for you. These are Christmas invites at the back after that you can take a couple of these out and say, hey, come to church with me. Attach a box of uh, chocolates to them or some cookies. Take them to your neighbors, your coach. Hey, we'd like you to come to church with me on, on Christmas and hear about Jesus Christ. Great place to start. But don't miss the full Christmas season without celebrating in a way that God wants to celebrate by proclaiming Jesus Christ. As I read this, I pray for boldness for you. I pray for boldness for me. I pray that we would have a bold, radical obedience to share the words of life. I shared this story with you before, but it's one that I thought of again this week as I was preparing. It's I want to be a bold ambassador for Jesus. I want, I want to be like a, the guy who wrote a story about 1980, a young man from Rwanda. Early on in our church, I shared this with our church to, to, to help us see the, 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 the way God wants us to go. And, and this is a young man that was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or face certain death. When the time came, he refused to renounce Jesus Christ and he was killed on the spot. When his friends went to gather all his stuff from his little room in, in mourning, but also in rejoicing that, man, we have a brother who is, who is counted worthy to be martyred for Jesus Christ, they found this note that he had written in his room the night before. That I read this and I'm like, man, this is what God wants me to be. This is what God wants our church to be. Listen to what he penned the night before he died for the sake of Jesus Christ. He wrote this, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until everybody knows, work until he stops me, and when he comes for his own, he will have no trouble recognizing me because my banner will have been clear. This is audacious faith. This is what it looks like to be an unstoppable church. Praying this will be the reality of your heart and my heart. Number three, 
When God sets out to build his church, his will becomes paramount. When God sets out to build his church, his will becomes paramount. Yes, God does it in ways that we could never imagine. Yes, he instills in us a desire to share the gospel, but he also instills within us a desire to please God rather than men. So after they were strictly charged to not teach in his name, Peter and the disciples answered with this, this simple sentence. You can highlight this in your Bibles. Verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. So what do you got to say about that, Peter and, Peter and the apostles? Like, like you keep, keep going, there's going to be trouble. Try us, prove us. Peter and the apostles, not like an arrogant, like, oh yeah, try me. I think it's more of a like, ah, sorry you feel that way, but you know what? Bottom line is we have to please God, not man. You know, you do what you got to do. If you think you're going to come after us, come after us. If you think you got some things to bring it, bring it. But at the end of the day, our number one desire is this. We're not, we're not here to please you. We're here to live for an audience of one. We're here to please God alone. We're here to please Jesus Christ. This is a heart that God's spirit attaches himself to really quickly and does great and mighty things with. A heart that is done with living in the world, a heart that's done pleasing the world, a heart that desires to please God alone. In our culture... I struggle to see this verse being applied very effectively in our lives. In our culture, I hear a lot of this. Well, you know, live for Christ, but if it's going to upset the apple cart, that's not what God wants. Live for Christ, make sure you stay clear, take care of your family, and do all the things you need to do first. Live for Christ, but if it's going to... That's not an unstoppable faith. That's an easy faith. That's a weak faith. I think in our culture, we've got so concerned about what other people think, somehow believing that if they like us, they're gonna like Jesus too. If, if we don't offend them, they're gonna like Jesus. This is not the case. We spend so much time thinking about what do they think? How will they respond? Will I fit in? Will I offend? Will this affect my job, my family? We spend so much time thinking about that. This is just something we never think about. How is my life pleasing to the Lord? How is my life pleasing to God? Am I living in a way that is in essence putting God on the back burner and putting everybody else's opinion on the front burner? Are we collectively as a church come to this place where we're just trying to like blend in with society and, and, and please everybody and not upset the apple cart too much? If we ever get there, you know what happens? God's spirit moves on to a place where people are ready to to. to please God more than they please man. I want to clarify this verse here because I've used it, heard it misquoted so many times over the last number of years in ministry. Even when I think about you know, you, you answer to God alone, you answer, you answer to God and, and nobody else. I, I've heard this misused out of context. I've heard this a lot. Just so you know this, it's, it's not a call to rebel against officials on every whim and every whim. This is, this is not a call. Some of you have highlighted this verse a long time ago because, because you live in this life of like, no one tells me what to do and I'm gonna do my own thing and I'm my own man or I'm my own woman and you know, get in my face and it's over. And it's not, it's not a call to push aside politicians and police and professors or teachers. 
In fact, Romans 13, 1-7 says this, that we are all subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And so in essence, we receive God's approval when we follow government. What this is talking about is, is when, when the government or the officials or the teachers would, would say you can't preach the gospel, then we have problems, right? And then we're called to, to continue following God and not man. But this is, I saw this YouTube video of a, a pastor in the U.S. and he took this verse as like, you know, no one tells me what to do. So he's got it all on YouTube. It's hilarious. Yeah, he comes to a check stop somewhere in Phoenix where the you know, police are like, can I see your license and insurance? So he's like, nope, I answer to God alone. Really? I, I watched because it was quite interesting. Debate back and forth for a long time. You know how the video ended? <laughs> they smashed his window, dragged him out of the car, fed him the beats, and, and I'm like, appropriately. The, that's not what this is saying. This is saying when, when the call of those in authority over you are pushing you away diabolically opposed to God, you stand with God every time. This is also not saying this. is not a call to dissent against leadership in my life, not just the politicians and the police and the professors, but what about parents and elders? This isn't, this isn't a call young people who are like, well, my, my parents don't have to tell me what to do. I answer to God alone. I've heard that many times too when they move out of the house. I can show you another verse that says, children, obey your parents. This is right in the sight of the Lord. Or church people that are like, you know what? Like, like churches, the leadership's going that way and, and they're not sinning. And they're, but, but I want it to go this way. And so like, I'm not listening to anybody. I'm doing, this, this is my church. I'm doing my thing. It's not it either. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account for you. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you or to them. This isn't like a blind follow the leader cult thing. This is a like, hey, I'm going to follow the leader. As long as Jesus is at the front of the line, I'm in. If the line's going somewhere Jesus isn't going, that's a whole different story. But as long as Jesus is at the front of the line, I'm in. You know what this is? This is a call to do the will of God above all else. It's a call to do the will of God above all else. Remember the book of Daniel? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember what happened in their lives? What happened? Bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Bow to the statue. We're not going to do it. Bow to the statue. We're not going to do it. Bow to the statue or else we're not going to do it. What happened in their lives? Fiery furnace. We're stoking it right now. We're going to throw you in. They're going to throw me in. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe that there's greater fruitfulness in standing for God, even over the, all the bad things that could happen to me in this life. They threw them in. What happened? God showed up. There's a fourth person in there, manifestation of Jesus Christ. And because of their bold obedience, the whole culture was changed to be one that says, let's be done with these statues. Let's be in with their God. He's the real God. It's getting harder, isn't it? brothers and sisters, to stand for Jesus Christ and please God alone. It's getting harder, isn't it? And governments come up with all kinds of things to tell us we have to teach our kids and we have to believe this and believe that. Honestly, we just can't do it. We just can't do it because we believe that God's the authority. Some of you are in jobs where your bosses are telling you to do all the illegal things and cheat on this and cut corners on this. At the end of the day, you just can't do it. You gotta trust that God's gonna take care of you. 
Some of your professors are asking you to write papers on things like evolution and, and you're tempted to like, I'm just gonna, I'll just, I'll just do it and get the mark. You, you just can't do it. We're called to please God rather than men, obey God rather than men. Some of you are even parents. Maybe you come from homes that aren't Christian parents and you're, they're teaching you things that, that, that they, they think it's okay for you and, and you're tempted to like, what do I do, what do I do? You need to stand for the Lord in a humble way and in a respectful way, but stand for the Lord. We're in this thing for the approval of God and not man. Man, this is hard. This has been my battle my whole life. High school, this was my battle. College, this was my battle. This is most of your battle. I'm not, this is most of your battle right here. This verse is, is most of your lives. It came to the point in my life where I'm like, okay, when is this ever going to end? Around 30, I was like, I, I could live like this the rest of my life and, and live out of fear and live out of trying to... Pl- or maybe I can trust God. There's going to be his spirit to, like, to, to help me fear God more than man and have freedom over this fear of man thing. And started praying at 30, and man, God started changing things. 35, I'm still praying. 41, I'm still praying the same prayer. But yet God has been faithful to grow and to shape and to change and give freedom from this fear of man thing. What a, what a curse to be under the fear of man. If our church is going to live under fear of man, we're going to cease to exist as a church. As the government gets harder on churches, we're just going to fall apart. We're going to scatter. We have to together choose to fear God more than man. And that's where God's spirit moves and that's where his spirit comes alive and we become an unstoppable church. It's actually, it says here, it's a sign of salvation. Look at this, verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us, has given to those who obey him. Fear of God is actually evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a sign of salvation in your soul. John Piper says this, if you fear man, you've begun to deny the holiness and the worth of God and his son Jesus. Yet God is infinitely stronger, he is infinitely wiser, and he is infinitely more full of reward and joy than any man is. Unstoppable. Audacious faith. Possible. The power of the living Holy Spirit in us. We want to see God's Spirit move. This is, this is what it is to be God's people. Last thing, last thing. God's work cannot possibly be stopped. God's work, work cannot possibly be stopped. When God's people are empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's like trying to stop a volcano from running down a mountainside. When God's gospel is going forward, it's, good, it's like trying to stop the, the lava from, from entering your village. It's impossible. What do people do? They run. They run for their lives. You can get as many petitions as you like to stop the bill from moving forward, the, the bill of God's mandate for the church. You can stage any amount of protests you want to. You can start as many facts as you think necessary, but get this, God's bill for the church will always be passed with authority. That's what these next verses point out to us. I'll summarize here verses 33 to 38. Simply what's happening here is, is they bring him back into the council. Council's all worked up again. They're like, you know what? They hear this, they're like, not just we want to beat them now, we want to kill them. Gamaliel comes in. He's like this wise old sage. That's actually Paul's mentor before Paul was saved. He's like, guys, 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 slow down, slow down. Let's put them outside of the room. Let's have a talk about this for a minute before we do something dumb. Sadducees are smart enough to listen to this guy. He's like, you know what? You know what? Things have come and gone before. This guy, Thudius, 
He raised up and 400 people followed him. Then he died and they all scattered. It didn't mean anything. And then Judas in AD 6 or 7, he raised up a faction and, and everyone thought this is going to overtake everybody. And you know what? They, he died too and that all dissipated. And, and then we get to this verse. He says this. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it's going to fail. But if it is of God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. That's awesome, isn't it? That's another highlight, like circle, square it up, do something in your Bibles. Basically what he's saying, hey guys, if, if, this, if this God, this Jesus thing is real, all you're gonna do is rile up people and get mad at us. But if it's real, you're not gonna be able to stop it anyways. Leave it in God's hands. So encouraging to me as I even started planting this church. This verse was circled long before uh, this passage was preached this week and, and, and I was on my face, God, is this of you? Is this of you? And, and God showed me over and over, this is of me, it's gonna go. If this is of me, it's gonna go. If it's, if it's your plan, if, it's, if you think it's your strength, it's not gonna fly, but if it's of me, we're gonna, we're gonna see things happen together in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's been amazing to see what God has, has done. It's been amazing to see the opposition that's risen up and, and coming back to this. Like, God, how many times in my life have I thought things are going to fall apart in, in ministry, even this last five years? And, and God said, hey, if it's, if it's of me, you don't have to worry about it. If it's of me, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to make this thing go. This is the church we're a part of, brothers and sisters, the unstoppable church. If, 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 this is more than just a club. This is more than just a social gathering. This is, this is the movement of God moving forward, and we get to be a part of the unstoppable movement of God. What's the one... What's the one institution or organization that God has promised to bless until the day he comes back. It's the church. What's the one institution that's gonna be standing throughout all of history until Jesus comes back? It's gonna be the church that's the only one he's promised to bless and have a part of. We get to be a part of it. This is more significant than coming and sitting here on a Sunday morning and, and putting in our time and going home and being a little bit excited for Jesus. This is, this, is, this is what we give our lives to. This is what we, we devote ourselves to because this is the one institution that God has promised to bless. Don't believe me, think of history. It's full of men deciding they're gonna do something for the glory of God only to fall flat on their faces because it was their idea. History is jam-packed with stories of atheists and rebels rising up against God to stop the gospel, yet Christianity is still going. Nothing is gonna stop the church. So they're saying nothing's gonna stop the church. Government edicts, is that gonna stop the church? No way. Do you realize today there's 18 countries that, that the uh, Gideons are not allowed in? 18 countries. Trying to stop the Bible. Listen to some of them. Afghanistan, Algeria, China, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, North Korea. Government saying, you know, we're stopping the word of God right now. Guess what? China, one of those places I listed. You know how many believers are in China right now? Estimated because it's an underground church. How many believers are there? 67 million. That's double Canada. 67 million believers. We're stopping God's word. We're not, are you kidding me? You're going to stop God's word? God's word takes fire when you try and stop God's word. That's 5% of their population. We live free country. Guess what? Our, we're about 5% of our population is evangelical Christian. You can't stop the word of God. Rogue believers coming into the church dressed up like, dressed up like sheep but actually wolves, uh, dissenting, trying to stir up controversy and strife. They're not gonna stop the church. 
Even leadership fails. How many churches have seen a leader fail and people think, oh, it's all over now. The leader, the leader failed, the leader failed, the leader failed. If it's of God, guess what? It's not about the leader anyways. Leader, leaders fall, leaders die. Guess what? If it's of God, the church is still gonna grow and go. Because God loves his church and he's never gonna let that happen to his gospel. I love this as we get to the back of this end, back into this. Simply this, we can't start a spiritual fire and we can't put it out. We can't start a spiritual fire and we can't put it out. Psalm 127 verse one, unless the Lord builds his house, the laborers build in vain. I don't know about you, but to me this passage, this whole thing here, it fires me up. This fire you up? Just me? This fire you up a little bit? I, I wanna be part of a church like this, don't you? I, I, want to, I want this story to be written about me one day, don't you? This to me is like an energy drink, man. It's just like, man, I just want to go hard for Christ. I pray it is for you. If this is God's, it can't fail. It's like our, you know, you're playing sports tournaments when you're young and the team's already been disqualified. The coach says, yeah, I'll just play anyways. I love those games. No pressure. We already win. This is the church. We already win. And we're going to be standing when Jesus Christ comes back. Everyone else is going to fall, but we're going to be standing. He is going to move his work forward no matter what. This is such a strong dose of optimism for me. And I pray for you as we study this. And I pray motivation for you to be the church. Not just talk about church or do church, but to be the church, to be the passage. It's also a kick in the backside, I think. To make sure we keep this thing God's thing. It's not a man thing. It's not your church. It's not my church. Ultimately, it's not the elder's church. It's not a harvest, harvest church. It's God's church. It's kicking the backside to be all about the church and invest in the church and spend myself for the church. It's not about believers being like, oh yeah, I'm part of the church, but really not. I'm over here. This is, this is like, I want to be all in. I want to know the fullness of the power of God. I want to see God at work in me and others. I, I, I want to see boldness overtake me, I want, I want to live for the glory of God alone. This, I pray, is a kick in the backside to, to pray and to work like this is all true. But knowing this, it's gonna be with a price. We all want that side of it. We don't want these last few verses, though. Yes, I'm motivated. Yes, I want to go. But guess what? There's gonna be a price to it. Anytime God works, there's a price. Look what happened to the disciples. They left the presence, so, uh, so they took his advice. When they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing they were counted worthy, rejoicing, woo they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, guess what? They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So when they got a, when they, when they got a, a beating, it says they got a beating, you think like mom got his, her wooden spoon out and smacked him a couple times across the butt? Mm-mm. Here's what happened took their shirts off, put them on their knees, over a chair, and they got 39 lashes, one being like, and then back up on the stomach. So like, one, two. Should I go all 39? You get the point, right? Reality is, the deeper we venture into enemy territory, the harder the opposition's gonna get. Stakes get higher, cost a little more. But yet that's the time for us as a church to not back down but to step up in the power of Jesus. This is what it means to be counted as part of the unashamed. This is what it means to be like the the young man from Rwanda who wrote that beautiful eulogy for himself. 
I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Oh, I'm out. Uh-uh. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Because there's nothing greater than seeing the overwhelming power of God build his church for his glory. This is what life and our calling as Christians is all about. Let me pray that you and I would truly get this, that our church, that this could be written about Harvest Bible Chapel Niagara as we move forward for the glory of God. Let me pray. God, we read passages like this and we're like, wow, you are awesome. When you give a guarantee, you step up in a way that even blows our minds apart. Miracles and opening prison doors so the message can get out and giving your people the courage to speak truth and then to take beatings and, and even shutting down Governing councils to make things go the way that you want them to go so that your church can move forward. God, this speaks all about you and not about us for sure. This is a, a story of the unstoppable nature of God building his church. Thank you, God, that you love us enough, you care about us enough to keep this organization called the church moving forward. Thank you for the message of the gospel that you allowed us to hear and to believe and to accept. God, this is your work, not ours. And yet, God, as we thank you for even all you've done in our church's short history, God, we look ahead saying, God, would you do this in an even greater way in our lives, in a greater way in our church? God, would you, would you do more acts of God within our church? God, more glory stories, more God at work stories, I pray. And I pray that you'd keep us in a place where we're eager and expectant for you to work each and every Sunday, not just in somebody else's life, but in my life. And God, would you keep them coming, I pray? Nothing greater in this whole universe than seeing you radically transform a life. Would we all be on that page, God? You give us boldness to share Jesus, not just talk about Jesus here in church, but not just have the philosophy of evangelism in our heads, but would this be, would evangelism be a pillar of our hearts, oh God? Would you help us, Lord, live for an audience of one? Oh God, would you rip the fear of man out of every heart here? We need you to, God. We can't, we can't get rid of it on our own. Would you rip it out, God? Would you show us an overwhelming glory of the overwhelming glory of your son that as we look at Jesus, we'd be so enamored with Christ, we wouldn't care about what anyone else thinks. And would you, God, use us to advance your kingdom, I pray. I pray you'd never take your Holy Spirit off of this place. I pray we'd never get, let sin get rampant, that we'd never get bored with seeing the church move forward, never get comfortable and say, we just want to stay at this place here. May we always be looking to see more of what you have for us. Would you use our church, Lord, for the unstoppable message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Father, from this message, would you apply whatever needs to be applied to each individual heart? And would you shape us? And would you make us into the people in the church that you'd have us to be? Amen.